Here we are, two mornings in a row. Can you believe it? Good morning, Four Oaks. Pastor Paul, it is a Wednesday morning, August 15th, 2023, year of our Lord. Hey, glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. And we had been on a hiatus, but we've, we've been diving right back into where we started in Matthew's gospel. So I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 9. Now, last yesterday, we spent a good bit of time just kind of explaining what we do here and getting back into the groove and up to speed on where we are in Matthew's gospel. And so um, if you haven't digested yesterday's devotional, do it. I think it'll be, it'll be helpful to you, particularly if you're, if you're new to this whole process. Um, but what we want to do today is begin to, to dig into this passage in some depth. And if you've been with us before in times past, um, I, I, you know some of the, the metaphors or word pictures I use for the way that we, we do biblical interpretation or the way that I think about it. And, and one of those ways is what we call concentric circles, okay? So if we take any particular passage or narrative and we are, we are saying what we, what we really want to do ultimately is to drill down and get the central message. What is the central point? What's the, what's the, what's the, the touchstone, the application, the centralized truth that the gospel writer or the, or the apostolic writer, same thing, are, are writing here? What are they trying to convey? Why have they included this story? So, so if you want to boil all that down and say, hey, we're looking to, to understand the true meaning of the text and the most important meanings of the text, then, of course, we can move to application. Oftentimes, though, we are so eager to get to that application point that we can miss all the other necessary steps that are needed in order to make sure what we're saying the text says, it actually says, and hence that we are applying it the way that it's supposed to be applied. And otherwise, we can take things out of context. We can make the Bible say all kinds of crazy things. We can derive crazy, aberrant theologies um, based upon sort of picking and choosing verses. And so this exercise of exposition helps us make sure, it grounds us, make sure that we are aligning ourselves with the text, that we're drawing its true meaning, and we're rightly applying it. And so, so if, if, that, if that's the task, and the center point is the truth of the text, that, that's the innermost circle, the outermost circle would be the, the context, would be the way the passage is situated. And as we understand that, we can move to the next circle, which is, okay, what's happening in the text? Um, how are we to understand how the different parts are relating to one another. And we, and we sort of take this picture of concentric circles to ultimately get to that center point, the truth of the passage, which is what we're, which is what we're after. And so this morning, we're going to start on that outer circle, okay? And so I am going to read the passage, and then we're going to spend some time talking about how this is situated in Matthew and why... This text is appearing at the time that it's appearing. 
that's going to help us get oriented here. So look, we're, reading, we're, we're going to be in um, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Again, this is going to be the text for our sermon this coming Sunday. But now we get to walk through this together as we, as we, as we unpack it. All right, here we go. Verse, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So, as we mentioned yesterday, um, Matthew has made a, a pivot in his gospel um, in Matthew 8 and 9 uh, from where we were in Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that sermon, remember the people are like, they, they were amazed, they were astounded because this man is teaching with great authority. Who, who, who can teach like this? Our scribes and Pharisees can't teach like this. Who is this man who speaks with such great authority? And as we know, because Matthew is intent on showing Jesus as the Messiah King, one of the things a king or leader does, must be able to do, is lead publicly to speak to declare truth, and Jesus was most certainly doing this. But as we know, talk is cheap, right? There's a lot of people who can be a talking head on TV or perform well on a stage, but are just sort of paper tigers. There's really nothing to them. They're all talk and no action. And this is why Matthew begins to show in Matthew 8 and 9, um, not only does Jesus have authority by what he says, he also demonstrates his kingly authority by what he does, all right? And so we see him healing. We see him um, bringing restoration to, to, to broken bodies. He is exercising demons. He is calming storms. All of the, this, again, is meant to show us Jesus is God, and by virtue of that, he is Lord and he is king. He, he has authority over the world. And it's this idea that when we see these miraculous things, it's a, it's a sign of the kingdom, the coming kingdom, breaking through into our present realities. Because after all, what does an effective king do? They establish their reign. Um, even here in, the, in our political system in the United States, although we don't have a king, we have a, we have a president who has an administration. And part of what that president or administration wants to do is establish their policy, establish their their, their governing rule that reflects their values and vision for our country and society. Well, that's what a king was meant to do. And by virtue of the fact that Jesus is now building his kingdom, he's healing, he's bringing life, he's, he's entering the dark and broken places. All of this is a sign that, again, Jesus is king, he has authority, his kingdom has come. However, there's a problem, okay? And, and the problem is stated simply like this. We assume that 
the king coming is good news. But it's only good news if he has peaceful relations with his subjects. What happens if the king returns and his subjects are in rebellion? They're in a civil war. They haven't been protecting his name and reign. They've been trying to subvert him. That's not going to be such good news. And this is where I think Matthew 9 really fits into this. Because Matthew is showing us that even if Jesus establishes his reign and rule in our world and does amazing, miraculous things, we still have a problem. And what is that problem? It is, of course, sin. Um, and this is what, this is the problem, this is the issue that, that, that Matthew introduces us to and and focuses in on this passage. Let's, let's go back to, to Matthew 9 for a second. So if you looked at this miracle in its totality, it does seem very similar um, to the other miracles we've seen. Jesus comes, there's a crowd, there's a need, a physical need, a spiritual need. People come to Jesus, Jesus fixes it, heals it, restores it. And people go on their way. But here we are introduced to a whole new dynamic that moves beyond the physical condition of a body to the spiritual condition of a body of a heart. So let's go back to the text. So Jesus, um, in verse 2, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And by the way, uh, Mark and Luke have their own recounts of this story. This is where the, the men carry the paralytic and cut a hole in the roof and let him down. Matthew doesn't get into all those details because that's he has a particular focus here. And his focus is not so much on the healing, but as what the healing points to. So let's go back. He says, Jesus says, Take heart, my son, your sons, your, I'm sorry, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And this is something new right? Um, in the midst of this healing, Jesus is pointing to a, an additional issue, and I would even say a more primary fundamental issue that's faced by this paralytic. Um, by raising this issue of sins, what, what Jesus, I think, is, is pointing us to is that there are as important as a healed body is, or a restored relationship, or a healthy life is, there's something that's even more important than that, and that is simply this, what are we going to do with our sin? See, our sin has separated us from God. The sin had separated the paralytic from Jesus. The paralytic comes seeking physical healing, and Jesus interjects here to say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to physically heal you, but that healing points to a deeper healing that you were really needing, and that's a healing of the soul. That's a healing of the heart. Um, that is, in fact, the issue of your sin, okay? Now, in the next few days, we're going we're gonna to unpack this in detail. What, what does this mean how do the, the scribes interpret this? What is Jesus saying um, um, is sort of at the, at the heart of his authority to forgive sins? 
but that, that's tomorrow, okay? Today, I want us to think about what is our primary need in life, okay? And you may say, well, Pastor Paul, there's, I have a lot of needs in my life. I've got financial needs and marital needs and parental needs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is all true. They're all real needs. Um, but there's a specific need that every person in the human race faces, and it's the most important need we'll ever have, and that is the need for forgiveness. It's the need for forgiveness. See, we, we can have everything in the world, but if we're estranged from one another, but more importantly, if we're estranged from God, it doesn't matter how many miraculous healings we have. It doesn't matter what kind of life we're blessed with, what our health is, how much money we have. If we are not right with God, if we are not, if we don't have some solution presented to deal with our sin, then we are under the wrath of God. We are under his judgment. And so what Jesus, what Matthew is beginning to do in this portion of the gospel is to say, all these wonderful healings are amazing, but they're pointing you to something much more fundamental, much more needful for you in this life, and that is forgiveness. Now, it's certainly true. In the new heavens and the new earth, we'll be totally cleansed and made whole physically and spiritually, right? But what Jesus is saying is that you can't even get there unless you are, have dealt with your fundamental problem, which is the forgiveness of sins. And I think that's a great orientation for us as believers as we embark on today, that if we know Jesus for as many problems as we may have in our life, and they are many and they are real, if we, have, we know Jesus, then we have forgiveness of sins, and our most important problem has been resolved that it is well with our soul. It may not be well in our marriage. It may not be well with our children. It may not be well with our finances or at our job or in our relationships. But um, if we can say it is well with my soul, right, then that is the center point, the touch point, the foundation point for all hope. And that's why Jesus is raising this issue at this particular time our needs are far more than physical, right? They are deeply, fundamentally spiritual. My prayer for you and for me is that God would open our eyes to that need today. Okay, so tomorrow we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty of the passage on what authority does Jesus say that sins are forgiven? Why do the Pharisees have such a problem with this? What is Jesus' rationale for why he and he alone has the authority to forgive sins? That's going to be tomorrow. So we'll see you then. Let me pray for today, though. Lord, we have a lot of needs, and you care about all of them. But you have already, through the cross, addressed our most important need, and that's our need for forgiveness. That's, that, that's our need to have our sins decisively dealt with. Lord, let us be strong in you and walk in that hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.